Welcome to another edition of the Parkrun Adventurers Podcast. We made it to episode 10. Hooray for us. (laughs) Did you ever imagine we would get to double figures, Mel? Oh, I'm... Yes. I'm sitting here looking at both my hands again and I'm not going to count them on my fingers, but I... I'm looking forward to getting to the triple digits. So this is a podcast about parkrun. We're not always going to talk about parkrun because there's lots of other great running events that happen throughout the year. I was at one on the weekend. It's funny, last two weekends here in Melbourne, I've experienced my two local fun runs back to back. First off, we had the Eltham Fun Run organised by the local YMCA and then this week it was Warrandyte's turn to put on their local fun run. And they couldn't be more different. I was a spectator at both of them. Warrandyte, I had the privilege or the luxury of watching Kasha complete in the 2.2k with one of her friends. And it was very cute. I gave him a running watch. They were very excited to run together. It was a great setting. Warrandyte's quite hilly. It's in the bush. So they got to run around an oval first and then head out onto the road. Very well organised, really good atmosphere, great running event. Eltham wasn't as well organised, but still a fun day. Um, I was there to support lots of my Westerfoldians. And it was also a good insight. So now that we've been involved in parkrun and putting them on for a number of years now, It's good to see how some of these local, smaller fun runs go about doing it because I can tell you what, I think they can learn a lot from just attending or getting involved with their local park run, engaging their park runners, benefiting from the relationship. But neither of these events did, but I know there are plenty that do. One such event, uh, which some of you may have had the pleasure of actually participating in is the Marimbula Fun Run, which um, has very strong connections and ties to Park Run in that its race director, Danella, is also an event director and a territory director for Park Run. So um, from what I understand, I haven't been to the Marimbula Fun Run. Have you been in it, Scott? I did. I attended last year. I organised a little bit of a road trip and it was a great event. What did you think? Yeah, great event. Danella... Is a very smooth operator. She's she's a real high achiever and she puts on a great event. And so the Marimula Fun Run is held every year in May. Um, so it was nice and cold leaving Melbourne. Got a bit warmer once we got to Marimula. I think we all had a swim in the ocean, so it can't have been that cold. And this year's event's going to be held on the 29th, so you can mark that one down as a great fun run to do that embraces their local park run. And May has got to be a pretty good month for awesome events because have you heard of the Warwick Pentathlon, Scotty? I've heard bits about it. Okay, so it's on the 21st of May this year, so it's the week before Marimbula Fun Run. But to give you a basic outline, there are five running events of five different distances run over the two days, so on the Saturday and the Sunday. And if you do all five of those events it equals a marathon distance, which is pretty awesome. And from my understanding, you can do as many or as few of the events as you like. 
So if you wanted to do the 5K and the 10K, you could. If you wanted to do the 5K and the half marathon, you could. Um, but by all accounts, it's an amazing weekend. So that's another one to look out for. Do you have a favorite running event of all time that you've ever done? I perhaps don't have a favorite event, individual event as such. I have a favorite series. Does that count? Absolutely. What's the series? Okay, so the series, there's a trail running series here in Melbourne called the Solomon Trail Series. It's been going for a few years now, and it's a series of four races. They start out at Studley Park. Nice. Which is topical. <laughs> um, so the first race is at Studley Park, and it's all on trail. It's not massive crowds. They run it really well. It, not over-commercialized, but really well-run series and really tough too. So you start out, long course is probably about 12 kilometers. Then each event builds up. But I like trail running. This is through winter in Melbourne, so it's really cold. They've got some river crossings through icy water, um, some just wicked elevation, particularly in race three, which is out in the Dandenongs. And I'd have to say that's my favorite series. Does that count? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That, that sounds really cool. What about you? Well, on the Sunshine Coast, we have um, a little bit of a special event. Okay, so there's a, a township called Pomona, which has got a mountain in it called Mount Kurura. And... Um, Mount Karura was actually made famous by Midnight Oil song King of the Mountain and, and the race itself, King of the Mountain, is run at this mountain every year in July. And so they have a Pomona King of the Mountain Festival. It's, a, it's an all-day thing. They have um, running races for the kids. But the actual Pomona King of the Mountain race is um, basically you start in town and it's only four kilometers long, so you run about 1.5 kilometers to the base of the mountain. Then you go up the mountain, and then you come down the mountain and run back into town. And it's um, pretty grueling. They only actually allow 100 participants every year for safety. Um, and you actually have to apply to be a participant. So you have to fill out a paper form and post it in the mail. And then they get back to you about whether or not you've been accepted. And you need to fill in all sorts of stuff about, you know, what your running experience is and stuff about yourself. And, um, yeah, and then they let you know if you're going to be included. And this is my favorite event of all time. I participated a couple of years ago and the training for it itself was lots and lots of fun. It was lots of running up and down mountains and hills and I loved every grueling second of it. I came dead last, didn't care. It was just, uh, I, I cannot explain how much fun this event was. They have SES who go and climb the mountain ahead of time so they've got them sort of dotted all the way up and down the mountain just in case, you know, there's an emergency. Um, at the very top where you, you turn around, they, they put a mark on your arm so that the people at the bottom know you made it to the top and they, they check, check off your number and things like that. They actually have cups of water for everyone and they literally have 
exactly 100 cups of water. So by the time I got to the top, there's this rock with this one little plastic cup of water just for me. And oh, I was so grateful for that water and that 30 seconds that I stopped to drink and appreciate the view before I made my way back down. And um, there's a sub 30 club. So if you finish the race in under 30 minutes, you get to join the sub 30 club. Um, I'm proud to be a member of the sub 80 minute club. I don't think it took me quite 80 minutes um, to get all the way up and down and in, into town. So, but yeah, I mean, brilliant, brilliant event. If you can come up, I mean, they have the world thong throwing competition as one of the events in the festival beforehand. So it's it's a great family day out as well. That the actual race, the big race of the day, is held at three o'clock in the afternoon. So. But the rest of the day, it's all market stalls and rides and the shorter family races and things like that. Such a fun day. So is the race the feature of the festival? It's, it's the highlight and how the festival finishes. So many people would be familiar with um, the King of the Mountain song and, and a lot of them would think that it actually relates to Peter Brock, who um, was at Mount Panorama, you know, they all thought he was the king of the mountain. But it's literally um, the, the lyrics and the song were written about this race. So little known fact. And it all belongs in this tiny little town called Pomona in the hinterland on the Sunshine Coast. Well, sounds awesome. I'm curious about the 100 runner cap though. What's the criteria for entry? Is it first in? Um, it's not first in. So... Basically, I think what they do is they try, obviously, if you're a previous winner of, of previous years, then you get the number one um, bib and you get automatic entry. They actually have a sister event um, called the Karawura King of the Mountain Festival in New Zealand, and I probably really pronounced that incorrectly as well. But the winners here get to go over to New Zealand and race that event and New Zealand send a big contingent of runners over every year as well. So any runners they send, and when I say big contingent, I'm talking, you know, between six and ten people come over from New Zealand to run the event. So um, if you've done it... Well, that's 10% of the field. <laughs> it is 10% it is of the field. And um, I, I was very grateful to be accepted. Possibly I was accepted because they like to encourage more female participants because it is a largely male-dominated event. Um, there is one lady named Leslie who does the event every year and she's actually a teacher in Pomona. And um, so, yeah, she, she's in it all the time. But, yeah, they, they get quite a broad spectrum of people involved and you do obviously have to sign, you know, a death waiver to um, be able to do it. Fortunately, nobody's ever been injured in this event and... I mean, the climb up the mountain is essentially like goat track in many spots and you have to give way to the people coming down. And if you see the people coming down, especially the leaders, you understand why because these guys do it in, you know, 23 and a half, 24 minutes, which is absolutely insane. You might think, okay, yeah, four kilometers, whatever. The mountain itself is 438 meters high. So they're running 1.5K to the base and then 438 up, 438 down and these guys literally just practically jump off the top and um, yeah, they, they just skip 
across a couple of rocks on the way down. So if you, you don't get out of their way, then there's several people going to die. So, yeah, you have to give way to the people coming down. It's impressive to see, isn't it? It trail is. Trail running, downhill trail running is a real skill. It is. You need to have, you know, the surety of a mountain goat, I think. Yeah. My good mate, Matt Fulton, he'll like to call out. He's a faster runner than me, but going downhill, he's no good. And, um, <laughs> I can always run away from him. I think it's it's got to do with body mass and I'm using my momentum going down the hill. I'm not putting myself in the category of other, you know, good trail runners, but to see some people fly down the hill and fly up it is very impressive. Yeah. I have to say the only event that I have ever actually overtaken someone was a trail run that I did a couple of years ago and I overtook them on the downhill just because either I I don't care as much on the way down or I, I think what it actually is is that you feel like a kid again and you just go all out and you you go so fast you wouldn't be able to stop safely if you had to you just go fast until the ground levels out a bit and you can slow down then yeah I think that's part of it it's like you're pushing it so where is your safety limit? Because you know that you're going to fall if you trip. And in fact, in the Solomon series last year, I did fall. I had a good old tumble. And if there was a rock where I <laughs> fell, I probably wouldn't be here. But I bounced off, hit some grass, hit some twigs. And running downhill is about finding your limit of where you're prepared to fall over. Yes, I think so. Good fun, though. It is great fun. I think, I think it has to have that element of this could really hurt if I do something wrong to make it a little bit more fun. That's what trail running is all about, the fear of falling. We're two, we're two events in at Studley, which is a trail run. It's a pretty mild trail. It's gravel trail and a bit of dirt here and there. And, and no one's fallen over yet. No one joining the stack club at Studley yet. Not yet. Nobody's asked for a Band-Aid or reported it. So. Have you noticed, this is what I always do at the trail run events, you, you look at people from behind and you see whether or not they have dirty bums and that's how you can tell because people aren't going to own up to it. No. It's when, when you see they've got like a shoulder that's got some brown on it that wasn't there to start with or, you know, the kind of scuff marks from meeting the foliage a little bit too close. That's when you know that somebody's had a bit of a stack and haven't told you. Well, you'll get to experience trail park run this Saturday. Are you looking forward to visiting us? I'm really looking forward to visiting you and checking out Studley. I can't wait to um, get across that suspension bridge, to be honest. Well, I ran it on Saturday. The suspension bridge is fun. Excellent. I'm not sure I'll get to run it, though. I might, have to, I might, yeah. Well, I might have to just sort of wait until people have comfortably gone, so that when you know I run across by myself, it doesn't, it doesn't trip them all up and get them all wiggly under the legs. Well, I, I said this on the show last week. If you run across the bridge, it's fine, and if there's a few people on it, it's fine. But if you walk across it by yourself, which I've done a few times, it really bounces. So, have you tried? Skipping? No. I'd guarantee to fall over and trip <laughs> if I did that. I think Kasha was skipping on it on Saturday, so I'll ask her. Okay.
And now it's time to talk to one of our parkrun adventurers, Brad Beer. Brad loves parkrun, but he's also written a book to help us stop getting injured or overcome our injuries, something that all runners will eventually come across. Welcome to the pod, Brad. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mel. Scotty, you just said all runners will get injured. I have to interject here and actually tell you that I haven't actually been injured yet in my running career. Mel, you are an example of what you know runners can aspire to. Running doesn't have to result in injury. Oh, I love that. I'm an example of what runners can aspire to. <laughs> I think we can just end the interview right there and um, play that on repeat for the rest Can't of the Can't get any better, podcast. right? No, not at all. I've been telling you that from the beginning, Mel. <laughs> I'm the same as Mel too, Brad. I haven't suffered too many injuries in my so-called running career. So what? Maybe perhaps we could start with what are we doing right? Well, guys, uh, Scott, Mel, good question. Um, what I've found though, and this sort of sets a framework for the book, uh, is um, there's five things that over the years of both running and being a health professional in the physiotherapy space working with runners, I uh, discovered that there's really intuitively I always applied this to any runner that was injured that I saw in the physiotherapy room. But when I took a you know, zoomed out approach, I realized that there were five key ingredients, if you like, a bit like baking a cake that needed to be there to produce injury-free running. So guys, without knowing your full training histories and your, you know, your weekly training routine, etc., what you're probably doing right is you, you get in the bulk of those five key ingredients, if you like, or five key steps in place. And whether that's through just at the, you know pure good luck at the moment, or um, serendipity, or you know purpose and intentional uh, work, I'm not sure, but that's most likely what's happening. But it's great. Let's not change it. <laughs> what are the most common injuries that you come across that come into your clinic? The most common ones that I see are stress reactions. So you know these are the good old shin splints, as we term them, or people know them, uh, stress reactions of the feet, guys. So that can be the toe bones, the long bones of the toe. Um, then we see the good old barrage of Achilles tendon problems. Um, you know, there's a few categories of those, from the reactive tendon that flares up with the overzealous runner through to the, you know, the degenerate chronic tendon that's just this ongoing saga for the runner. Right through, guys, to, you know, your, your strains of quads and hammies and things like that. And then you've got your, uh, you know, your, your very popular is probably not the right word, but very common ITB friction syndrome, uh, hip impingement, you know, those sorts of conditions. So, so give us the one tip. I know you've got five, but give us the one thing to avoid injuries. What's the most important thing we have to look out for? Oh, Scott, that is a top question. Um, I will try and give you an answer that's you know specific to your question and if I had to pick one Scott of the five um, they are written in sequence but I'm actually going to tip the sequence on its head Scott and talk about the power of rest which is another way of saying in short tongue-in-cheek don't mess up your training program I've got to say my rest days in my training program are my favorite training days <laughs> Well, Mel, you said at the start, you know, you're an injury-free runner. The wisdom you've got there is probably a big part of it. So, well done. Wisdom or laziness? I'll let you decide. <laughs> Let's go with wisdom, eh? Much more, <laughs> of a, much more of a nice character trait. I'm glad you said that because sometimes 
See, when you're at Parkrun and you're a run director, and particularly with Parkrun, it attracts new runners. And so when they see someone up there telling you what to do, I've had it happen a couple of times. People will come up to me and ask for advice. They'll say, so I've got this niggle in my knee. What should I do? And the first thing is I say is go see a physio. But I also do say don't go crazy. Don't go from a base of zero to 20Ks in one week. Is that what you're hinting at? Yeah, Scott, that's great. And, you know, there's so much hearsay about this person said to do this, this person said to say that. But there are some very practical rules of thumb, if you like, that, you know, help particularly beginner runners. And the, the mantra I'm often heard, you know, saying is that just don't spike your training volume or just don't spike your training load. So in other words, you know, don't go from zero kilometers a week to 20 at pace because that's a big spike in load for your body. You know, it's as big of a spike as it is for the runner that's, you know, seasoned that's running 50, 60, 70K a week, week in, week out that goes from that to, you know, you know, 30, 40K on top. So it's those spikes that tend to cause a lot of trouble for things like tendons and stress responses in the bones. So, you know, a rule of thumb, which, you know, there's a few around, but 10 or 15% incremental increases allowing for some rest days is, you know, is a good safety net. Let's talk about your park run journey. Mm. You like to run fast, don't you? It's funny, I... Actually, here on the Gold Coast, um, in our practice, Libby Sargent, or Libby Maxwell, uh, married name, is um, one of the race directors. And I've often, Libby and I have chatted, and it's been quite funny. She says, you're so fast. And I say, Lib, I know there's plenty of people faster than me. So uh, I uh, certainly know where I live in the world running scene, all the pecking order guys. And, um, you know, look locally, you know, it might be one of the runners at the pointy end, but internationally, I, I know that, uh, you know, <laughs> there's plenty out there faster than me. Have you ever run a park run that took you more than 20 minutes? Mel, I, um, I haven't. Um, I haven't. Uh, I remember the first park run. It was, I think, the first park run in Australia at Main Beach. And, um, you know, for the last seven or eight years in my Mark II of my running career, I had a been an eight-year break in between doing it flat out as a junior triathlete and then coming back as an adult. But you know, in that this mark two, this phase two of my running life, I've I've always sort of been, I guess, trying to explore my potential and see what I can do. So I've always, when I've stepped on to a park run running line bar, I think one or two occasions where I've just, you know, partnered someone around, I've I've always just tried to give it my best shot in terms of maximum output. So you're fast then. This is what we're establishing here. You you gave us a bit of a slidey roundy answer before where you weren't going to own that you were fast, but sub twenty minute park runs, that's that's on the quicker end. Definitely. <laughs> oh look, my best my most memorable park run was uh before the Gold Coast Marathon not this year but the year before and Rowan Walker, who's a great marathoner from Australia and certainly someone I respect. Yeah, he, uh, he was on the Gold Coast visiting. He took to the start line. I, I was trying to get ready. Actually, that year I decided to race the Gold Coast Ten because I was trying to get my ten k PB down, and um, and I was like, great, this I'm going to be able to chase Rowan. And I think I stayed with him for about two and a half k, and then he, he dropped the hammer and put big, a bigger gap. So um, it's probably my most memorable. That was my PB park run with with uh, Rowan. Went on to I think be about a minute quicker, but uh, he's in another league. Okay, so I want to set you a park run adventure, Brad. Mm, please. I want you to run a 25-minute park run. 
Nice. All right. I'll accept the challenge, Scott and Mel. Good. You can go slower than 25. So I want you to really kick into cruise mode and meet some of those people in the front end middle pack park runners. But I've always long appreciated, guys, the uh, one of the biggest kicks I get out of running events, park run or whatever it is, is, you know, is getting there and cheering people through. I just think it's fantastic because everyone's running the same distance and, you know, um, in many ways, I think the greater effort is with the person that's, you know, the first timer that might be coming through in the, you know, the back end of the field. I mean, literally, they are the ones that are out there doing it harder for longer, right? <laughs> so, uh, and that's one of the things I love about parkrun is it's, you know, individual. You can do it as fast as you like, as you, but really, everyone's only out there to try and improve themselves. And I think it's a real buzz, and it's not a pressurized environment. And, so it's it's a unique event, isn't it? It is Commuter. absolutely an, a unique event. I have to ask though, Brad, you're a, you're a physio by trade, yes? Correct. So, is the word out at Main Beach Park Run, and you just get approached by a lot of park runners saying, "Oh, my calf's giving me issues, or I've, my hip feels a little bit pointy." You know, can you take a look at it, or do you just you know send them to your practice? Oh, Mel, good question. I. I get questions asked often wherever I am and I don't mind. I genuinely love what I do and one of the greatest thrills is just being able to help. I mean, in a commercial or non-commercial sense, it's the same you know, satisfaction you get from being able to help. So, Mel, I'm more than happy if I'm not having to you know, get off so my wife can go to work on a Saturday morning and you know, look after a little girl to be there answering questions until whenever it's, you know, needed. So, Mel, yeah, often getting questions, but I never find that a burden. I always find that a pleasure. Oh, you might have just opened Pandora's box now. <laughs> more than happy, more than happy. Uh, you know, uh, the, the tips that people often ask for are you know, great for keeping injuries at bay, but they're also good for people to, you know, explore their potential and, you know, discover the joys of, you know, find that next level of their running and, you know, that sort of stuff. So it's good stuff. Okay, what about your levers with? We've established your fast. Give us one tip for everyone else to run fast. What's the one thing you've done that's helped you improve your PB? Oh, Scott, you are a master of good questions, but I like them. <laughs> um, Scott, I would say, and then, you know, there's the five ingredients, but if I had to boil it down to one, I'd actually boil it down to one of the five incidental steps of technique, Scott. And so this is something that certainly, you know, in my younger triathlon years, I would, I run much faster as an adult than I did then, and it doesn't make sense. But one of the things that's made a difference is I, when I came back into running as a sport, I paid attention to, you know, it's, it's often spoken about, but my cadence, my turnover rate. And it's probably one of the major flaws that I see um, runners of any ability making, and that's you know equating going faster with bigger steps. But uh, that's actually putting the cart before the horse. So going faster, yes, the greatest speed means the stride length will be longer, but not at the cost of a quick turnover rate of the legs. So, Scott, the one tip would be check your cadence, and you want to do that by counting how many times your foot lands inside one minute. And the ideal number is close or right on 90 steps a minute. Okay. 92, you say in the book? I think, uh, I think it's, yeah, I think I might comment that it's 88 to 92, Mel, but, you know, the sweet spot's 90, yeah. So, 
that's just one foot. So does that mean 180 steps per minute? Correct. But that's now, three I'll, per second. Co- correct. Yep. But I like to. Um, which sounds when you do the maths on it, you think that's not possible. But it's 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 more than possible. It's you know it's practice worldwide for all distances and except for sprinting. We're not talking about sprinting here, but uh, I yeah, do like pro- your tip in the book to just count one leg because yeah. obviously trying to count to 180 in uh, in one minute yep. well, while not, trying to run and stand up. It, it's not going to happen, which is why I break it down and say, look, count one leg uh, and just get your steps and anything less than 90 technically will mean that the runner's foot is probably landing out a little bit further in front of their body um, and putting some braking forces on, which in effect create a slower speed and also a much heightened risk of injury. So, um, and people ask, well, how long do I practice this for? And I say, count one minute of every five minutes until your cadence fairly consistently gets to that 90 steps a minute or within a step or two of it. And um, gosh, there's some fascinating reports come back, not just about reduction in injuries, but you know, the things that often get runners more excited is, oh, I've run a new PB or I've, you know, didn't think I'd ever be able to do that distance. So it really is probably the one um, critical critical fact that then steps you know sets the path for all the other little technique tweaks and things guys do you ever get any feedback that somebody's tripped trying to you know make their legs move that fast <laughs> um no i haven't i haven't had that uh i do get feedback mel that uh oh when it, people start to try and do this that they feel a little bit more taxed you know in terms of energy like it feels like it's harder to you know run with a quicker cadence and yes there is a slight increase in you know, oxygen cost to get your cadence going initially, but that quickly passes. So it's only the first couple of weeks I find where people feel like that. Um, but it doesn't have to happen overnight. Um, and I, you know, I, I like to make it clear for, for runners that um, this is one of the key things that will determine their ability of you know, improving their running pace, if that's their goal, or decreasing injury risk. And it's not a matter of will it happen; it will happen but it doesn't have to happen overnight. So, you know, enjoy the process and, um, you know, people put a bit of pressure on themselves that it has to be perfect the moment they learn about something and I just don't think that, you know, that there's longevity in that. Okay, so it's PBs for you and I this week, Mel. Congratulations (laughs) already. (laughs) Just move your legs faster. Ironically, I'm volunteering as the tail runner this week. So um, if I get a PB, I don't <laughs> think there'd be a lot of happy runners. Uh, I know our, our event director here on the Gold Coast at Main Beach, sorry, uh, Libby, she, uh, she, was, uh, she did the, 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 I think it might have been the tail runner position, but she was walking the, the event and I saw her this morning and she said, that was one of the best experiences I've had. Is, is actually taking my time to connect with people and hear their stories. And she was just buzzing with it. So, um, so good on you, Mel. Yeah, there is a lot of cheering you can do on course when you're the tail runner. And mm. you also have the benefit of appreciating the landscape and the atmosphere mm. while you're going. And it's not all over in 20 minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, so you get the most out of the experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Value for money. Yeah, well, we're talking about parkrun, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are, absolutely. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, one of the greatest examples of a community that's, uh, you know, it's uh, what an incredible, incredible um, story it is. It is and will continue to be. Thanks for the hot tips this week, Brad. We really appreciate it. And I hope your parkrun journey and parkrun adventures continue. 
We look forward to hearing about your 25-minute park run. I will report back in, Scott and Mel, and um, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on the show, and um, certainly I'm planning to be a parkrun adventurer for many years to come. We're excited. Tim's excited. He is here with us now to answer your questions. Welcome to the pod, Tim. Mate, I'm excited. It's great to be here for another round of, uh, of questions, the probing questions from the park running public. Hit me. Good. We're going to start with a question we got on last week's episode. It was from Jacob from Gdynia. He wants to know if you will fund our trip to Poland. <laughs> well, first of all, it's Jakob. Uh, not Jacob, nice Australian <laughs> pronunciation. He was he was Jacob last week, but he's become <laughs> Jacob this week. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob from Australia. Uh, right, so will I fund your trip to Poland, as in you too? Yes, this is a very important question. Well, I mean, let's. I mean, how, how many how many listens are we getting? A thousand a week. So I, I think if every listener puts in four dollars, then. <laughs> There's, there's your return airfares to Poland. So I, I think there's no need for, for Parkrun Australia to fund it because that would that's simply uh, you know rob, robbing from the funds that could launch another Parkrun event. However, if we set up a you know a bit of a GoFundMe or a, you know whatever we want to call it, four bucks per listener for Scott and Mel to go to Poland to broadcast Parkrun Adventures, that seems like a good deal to me. Okay. What do you think, guys? So the answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave us an alternative solution, which yeah, I really I like. So. I don't think it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, to your knowledge, have there been any like tour-operated trips, parkrun related? Uh, you know, in the UK, there has been, I don't know if they've been a tour operator or just a savvy parkrunner who has actually taken... Uh, well, sort of organised groups of people to go to Poland. I don't think he was a tour operator himself, but it was just kind of like, hey, who wants to go to Poland? I'm going. Um, and I know that um, Jakob was actually wondering, is he, uh, you know, do we sort of uh, endorse this kind of thing? So so it was an interesting one. I think there's actually good scope for, uh, you know, a bit of organised parkrun tourism. It's a bit hard in Australia because our distances are so big, but certainly over in, in, in the UK, I think with such small distances and Europe being so close that um, it's, it's possible. But, um, you know, uh, it's happening. Parkrun tourism is happening, as we all know, so a little bit of coordination never hurt. We've got a question from Marianne who wants to let everyone know that Highlands held a Clean Up Australia Day um, thing at their course after park run on Saturday. It was very well attended and they managed to fill a small skip with everything from plastic bags to fishing rods. And she wants to know, could this be a formal yearly event for all Australian park runs to give back to our communities for letting us use the courses each week? Uh-huh. I do. I really like this. And this is something that I've looked at before a little bit. Um, I know that Main Beach Park Run uh, on the Gold Coast, for example, have worked there with some local environmental groups to uh, to ensure that uh, their course is, is looked after and so on. But um, look, I think it's a great idea. And um, 
you know, ultimately, you know, we're, we're blessed to be running in these beautiful open spaces, and, and there's a, we have a responsibility to uh, make make sure that they're well looked after. And I would like to think park runners do that anyway. But um, you know, I didn't even know Clean Up Australia was coming, so that, that says what a bubble I'm in. But uh, if we want to look at it next year, then I would say yes, Marianne. Uh, contact me, send me an email, Tim at parkrun.com. Give us a six weeks' notice, and I think we can probably do something. Great. I, I agree. I think it's a good idea. Next one from Will. Will sent us about 10 questions, but I'm going to summarize it. Will's worried about the commercialization and the commercial aspect of Parkrun Australia. Mm-hmm. He wanted mm-hmm. to know why did Adidas leave as a major sponsor? Are we going to replace them? And if not, he's suggesting that um, we could contribute a gold coin every week. So maybe Parkrun is not free every week. Wow, gee, big questions, controversial questions there. Uh, all right, so to just for, for, for the listeners out there, um, Adidas was our first major national sponsor. They were the sponsor for the first three years of Parkrun's existence, and it was a three-year contract. And when the contract came to an end, um, we had a discussion and uh, we, you know, both parties choose, chose not to renew it. Uh, strategically, Adidas moving in a different direction, and I think, as, uh, you know, we were as well a little bit. Um, so, so there's nothing sinister behind any of that. We've still got a great relationship with, with Adidas, um, but they're just not a partner in Australia anymore. Um, we don't need to replace them like for like in terms of replacing them with a competitive and another competitor in the sports brand market um, because uh, we've got relationships, sort of global relationships overseas with uh, Tribe Sports who create our club shirts. Um, so anyone who's got one of the beautiful new Tribe Sports club shirts, um, that is a global relationship and so therefore I'm not looking for a, a, any sports brand partners in Australia. Um, of course, we are always looking for, for new partners um, but yeah, because of the overseas relationships, there's no no desire to look for a sporting brand uh, in Australia right now. Uh, what was the next question? Gold coin donation. Um, although I appreciate the sentiment, um, it's not something that we're looking to do either. Um, we don't like our event teams to have to handle cash at events because that just creates all sorts of complications in our what is very simple event model. Um, and and you know, to be perfectly honest, Parkrun Australia is in very good health um, financially. We've got great support from our partners. We've got great support from various levels of government. Um, so there's no real requirement for for that to happen at this point in terms of uh, Parkrunners putting their hands in their pockets. So uh, although we do, of course, really appreciate the donations that that come in to, to Parkrun Australia. I think last year we got about twenty thousand dollars worth of donations from from Parkrunners. So. Um, so yeah, everything's in good shape that way, um, and certainly no need to look to do, uh, you know, shake the tin, so to speak, at park runs to um, to help us survive. I think that was Will's concern. I think he's worried about park run becoming quite commercial because I guess he goes along, sees this great event happening, and just wondering how and who is paying for it. But well, I'll just I'll, I'll jump in there, Scott. Tom Williams, my my friend and colleague in the UK. Uh, who I'm sure you'll have on this podcast at some point, um, tells a great story that he's, he has a reference point for what Parkrun should always look like. No matter how many commercial partners we end up having, no matter how many events, how many countries, 
he always relates parkrun back to his very first ever parkrun, which was at Bushy Park. Uh, I think it was about seven years ago or something like that. Um, and Tom turned up in Bushy Park at a quarter to nine. There was no one around. There were no flags. He couldn't see anyone. He thought he was in the wrong place. Uh, and then he asked a few people and they said, no, you're in the right place. And at about um, five minutes later, a couple of flags went in the ground. Tom said, where do I put my bag? And they said, oh, you can throw your bag under the tree. And, uh, and then five minutes later, they were off and running and then everyone had a coffee afterwards. And so, so that's Tom's reference point as to parkrun should never move too far away from looking just like that, where it's just a run in the park, a couple of flags in the ground, um, minimal commercial sort of in-your-face messaging um, and, and really everyone just uh, having a fun time and having a, a coffee and breakfast afterwards. So if we ever get too far away from that will, let us know and uh, we'll certainly do our best to uh, uh, make sure make sure that, the, that I guess the, the parkrun spirit is always preserved. So we have another question. Um, this one's from Danella and it relates to the recent post on the Parkrun Australia page with a couple of very enticing pictures of the Sydney Opera House. And Danella wants to know what is the actual likelihood of the Opera House Parkrun becoming a reality? Uh, so the likelihood of this happening, look, it all comes down to one thing, I think, is who is in charge of the path? Because if it falls under the auspice of City of Sydney Council, then I think we've got a shot because we've already got a good relationship with City of Sydney Council through our existing uh, parkrun at St Peter's. Um, and so then we can have a conversation. However, if the path is under the control of the Centennial and Moore Park Trust, then um, I don't think it will happen because they've got some very strict uh, sort of higher fees around usage of their parks. And and uh, for, for, for the listeners out there who don't know, Parkrun does not pay councils or, or landowners for the use of the park because of the community service that we're providing. So as so if it's city, so if it's a Centennial and Moore Park Trust, um, it's probably not going to happen. If it's City of Sydney, then certainly we can strike up a conversation and, um, and yeah, we'll see. It, it really just depends on where the boundary of, of uh, Centennial Park and Moore Park Trust also oversee the um, Botanical Gardens and I think the domain and basically a lot of that open space. But if, they don't, if it doesn't extend out onto the, um, the pathways down on the, on the harbour, then, then we could be in luck. So, yeah, I've got to find that out. We'll see. Okay, Tim, that's all the questions we've got. How's your park running going at the moment? Well, look, I looked, long story short, I actually ran a, I ran a early beach park run personal best on Saturday just gone, which was 20 minutes and 40 seconds, which uh, is, well, it's a, you know, that's a long way off my, I mean, that's my, my, my all-time best is 18.23 at, at the red-hot fast Kira park run on the Gold Coast. Um, so it's a lot hotter up here and that sort of takes its toll, not that I'm trying to make excuses, but I've got this niggling Achilles issue going on at the moment. I can't remember if we've discussed this on, on previous podcasts or not, so I'm sort of having to tiptoe around it and I'm doing a lot of strengthening work and, and running. And, 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 and look, my running's okay, but it's, um, it's just kind of gnawing away at me and um, you know, I really don't want to do any damage. So So... It's okay without being great, if that makes sense. Is that all the questions you got for me? I was like pumped. 
I actually have another question that we yeah, could go. ask. Yeah, go on. Okay, so tribe sports you mentioned a little bit earlier on when you're answering another question has been a yes. global partner of the park run. So mm -hmm. the apricot tees that have been customizable in the UK were very, very um, popular and sold out uh -huh. within a number of hours. And I understand uh -huh. that performance tees are coming in both men's and women's that can be customizable in other countries as well. And the future range, they've got a coming later in 2016. And there are singlets, no sleeves. What can you tell us about this, Tim? Very important well. in Australia. I know, and I, you know, we've been banging on about Aussies wanting to buy singlets uh, or vests, as our friends in the UK call them, uh, for for forever. Now, um, I'm told, don't quote me on this, but obviously it's about to go on the podcast. Uh, I'm told that the vests will be available in April, so uh, but non-customizable. There's just going to be a stocko wallaby gold. I mean, parkrun apricot. Um, uh, vest. I'm actually looking. I, I hadn't seen that, Mel. I'm just looking at it now. Um, so yeah, I'm, to, I'm told April. But I mean, look, these things do uh, have a habit of, you know, being delayed and so on. But certainly, I know that the, uh, you know, what they've done so far has been a big hit. And I do believe, and I've actually seen on Facebook, a few sneaky little Aussie park runners have uh, uh, got customised. Shirts for Australia when they were only meant to be customised for the UK. Um, they, they've still got the Union Jack flag on them, but they, they've, they've snuck the cheeky little Aussie event names under Parkrun on the front there. So they're going to become um, collectors' items, I think, because um, yeah, they were kind of under, underneath the radar. Singlets have been long overdue in Australia, so that is good news. Can we customise them so they don't have that design on the back? Uh, well, I don't think the plan is to have such a big design on the back i think i think that's being i think that's kind of for the t-shirts I'm, I'm pretty sure again don't quote me on this <laughs> <laughs> it's too late for, for the thousand people listening don't quote me yeah it's a bit more than that now tim oh two thousand well, then, that means it's less less money per head to get you guys to poll it yeah <laughs> so, there's more than yeah, that, maybe that needs to be your goal. Four thousand listeners, which is which equals two two thousand dollar return flights to Poland if they give a dollar each. There you go. I'm pretty sure my husband and Scotty's wife would be a little bit disappointed if they didn't get to come to Poland with us. Well, so we're fundraising for them now on the podcast. Aren't we? Well, you know they do a lot of behind the scenes support. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think on that note. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, Tim. All right, guys, pleasure. Keep up the great work. And to all the listeners, thanks for your ongoing support of Parkrun. You might be a bit sad this week, Mel. Why is that, Scotty? We don't have any roving adventurers. What's up with that? Yeah. No submissions this week. I think maybe they heard Gary last week and thought, no, the bar has been set too high. Look, guys, don't worry about it. I don't have a radio voice. Not everybody sounds like Gary Clark. Yeah, our bar is pretty low, so keep them coming in. <laughs> <laughs> we have no standards here. Yes. Just, you know, talk to someone, send it to us. We'll probably use it. 
We've still got, we're still active on social media, so let's have a quick look around. There's a bit of a Melbourne theme to our Instagram post this week. We missed John Z. Webb last week. He visited Westerfolds Park Run with his son, and he found the hills were a bit exhausting. So he headed back to Coburg this week. We had a nice photo of the Albert Melbourne Run director, John. He always brings his inimitable, inimitable style to the job. Well done, John. And finally, Chris Wade was in Melbourne. He was volunteering at Gels Park Run. He said it was great fun, great people. And there was also a little picture from Sandy Shell's life. They were on their way with their kids up to the Sunshine Coast from Brisbane. And she said, the things we do for Park Run, 4.45 a.m. starts so we can go hang out at our fave Park Run with our fave Zoolanders. They sound like great people. They we'll are great to meet people. them one day. And we also had a bunch of submissions from our regulars. Miss Spelt, Kavira, Running Guy Ryan, underscore PK. We love all of them, so keep them coming in. So where's the cake this week, Scotty? This week we do have three anniversaries. We'll start at Parramatta, where they're celebrating their third. They're going for the brightest fluoro and a party hat, if you like. I'm glad they quantified the if you like situation there, because have you ever run in a party hat, Scotty? Yep, I have. Doesn't, doesn't end up on your head by the end of the run. Same with wigs. Wigs either get really sweaty or they, they yeah, wigs don't really work when you're running, in no, my opinion. I've gone all right with the wig. What I struggled with is a moustache one time. That kept coming off. <laughs> Couldn't but you grow a moustache? You are a boy. Not on short notice. Oh, okay. You need to pre-plan these sorts yeah, of costumes. I need a couple of days' notice for that. Gotcha. Moving right along to Albury Wodonga, great theme. It's for their second anniversary. Bright tights and tutus. Yep, that's going to be, I'm going to be stopping in to check out the photos on that one. Bright tights and tutus. Although I don't think I've got any tights that would be bright enough for that. I love having a gap in my wardrobe highlighted. <laughs> so bright tights. Bright tights. It's on the Christmas list. It's a good course, Aubrey Wodonga. You do actually cross over. So you start in New South Wales, cross over to Victoria, which is a much better part of the course, and then you finish back. <laughs> I actually found the Aubrey side was very shady and beautiful. Pitch, picturesque, but the substance is in oh, the Vic part of the course. <sighs> okay. Interesting that they chose to start and finish in Aubrey, though. Moving right along. We'll hopefully have some roving adventurers from their anniversary. Rounding out the anniversary wrap-up, Dawesville over in WA. They made it to one year. Good on you, Dawesville. Yay. They're and they're having with... an 80s rad retro run. That's going to be awesome too. The themes are good. They're starting to – the fun, bright colours, easy to do. And three parties this weekend. New South Wales has got one and a half. Victoria's got half and Western Australia's got one. Queensland, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, oh, you know what? I'll come to Victoria. That's what <laughs> I'll do this weekend. Well, we're, we're also having a launch down here in Victoria. Bansdale's kicking off. Bansdale. 
It's another country one over in the east part of the state. Did you know that ban is a word they use in Scotland for a baby? No. I wonder where they got the name ban style from. Well, isn't isn't Dale a you know a natural environment situation? Like a dale is not a valley, but it's a I'm really showing my intelligence here, aren't I? <laughs> well, well, I'm not helping you, so I've got no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Maybe we need to clarify what a dale is. Do we have time to, to Google it, dictionary.com? Yeah, dale. quick Google. <laughs> I'll wait. I'll entertain the listeners. Use your singing voice. Danke schön, <laughs> darling. You got an answer for me yet? I, I don't. I can't type fast enough when you're singing in German. A va- well, it is. It's a valley, especially a broad valley. So maybe it's it's Bansdale is a baby valley. Well, if you know the answer. <laughs> Educate us, please. How would you go about getting a message to the Parkrun Adventurers, Mel? Oh, well. What's the, the easiest way to get in contact with us? The easiest way would be to drop us a Facebook message. But there's heaps of ways you can get in contact with us. Most commonly, people like to Instagram us. They hashtag Parkrun Adventurers, which you can do on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Um, you could also email us. What's our email address, Scotty? Parkrunadventurers at gmail.com. That one's pretty easy to remember. Next week, we're going to be recording our podcast on location together in the same place. So that's something to look out for in episode 11. And it's going to be in a parkrun location. We'll leave it there. Hope you join us next week. It's going to be super fun.